Hello friends, this is David White. Popping in at the beginning of this episode really quick to say, if you like the character of Sister Solstice, you could go to our Patreon, give $5 a month, and listen to an extended edition of Sister Solstice Issue Zero. We're calling it Giant-Sized Sister Solstice Issue Zero. And you could listen to me have an extended conversation with the player behind Sister Solstice about the character's origins, powers, and how we brainstorm coming up with plot uh, plot points for this character. If you would like to hear that, please go to our Patreon. It would help us out a whole lot, but however you choose to listen to this episode, I hope that you enjoy it. Hello friends, this is Carrie White, and you are listening to Tales to Inspire. So as we open up this first issue of Sister Solstice, Issue Zero, we turn the page and we see a panel, uh, and inside the panel we see a uh, like a broad main street. We see some black Fords, people walking down the sidewalk, and in the corner of the panel we see a yellow box that says Salem, Oregon, January. 1943 and we see these people going about their business it's it must be early in the morning because we see people walking around with uh, mugs of coffee in their hand holding the newspaper in the other and they're just walking down this street but I think as they're walking down this street uh, we see somebody weaving their way between the taller figures um, Carrie, could you describe for us who do we see weaving their way in between these taller figures? <clears throat> you see a young 13-year-old, um, Doris Daniel. Um, she has a boyish figure. Um, she hasn't quite come into her womanhood just yet. Um, she's got blonde hair, blue eyes, and she's about five feet tall. Um, 
and yeah she's it, her hair is like shoulder length probably tied back in a ponytail um she's dressed in uh, just kind of everyday clothes that you would see a young girl wearing in the 40s um for school mm-hmm. so, okay um and uh what is doris daniel doing on this uh wintry morning in oregon um she is down at the um local grocer and she's picking up um fresh bread and eggs and milk um to take back to her mother's um, bed and breakfast Okay, so you walk in to this grocery store. You see a bunch of canned uh, products. Um, there are some fresh cherries that have been brought in. And you actually, it's early in the morning, so you would see the, the farmer unloading these crates of cherries and taking them into the grocery store. Uh, and he has, like, two stacked on top of each other, and he's kind of struggling and walking towards the door, and he is trying to grab the, the door handle with his elbow to open it as you're walking up um and you see me um say something under my breath and then you see the door um open almost like a um, electronic door but there wasn't electronic doors in the 40s okay. so so it just creaks open the man just thinks he opened the door himself somehow and walks right in uh and you follow after him mm-hmm and like I said, you see the can um, product. As I, but he's walking in, and as I walk in, I, hi, Farmer John. Uh, and he looks down, or like angles the boxes away from mm-hmm. his face so he can see you. Oh, well, hi, Doris. Here, uh, he sets it down, and he grabs a handful of cherries, and he holds it out to you. Here you go, pretty lady. Thank you. And then he... Yeah, picks it up and starts sorting them into some bins out there mm-hmm. uh, or right there at the front of the store. Uh, and you run in grabbing... What What are you grabbing? Um, I'm grabbing the eggs and um, the bread and milk okay. that we need. Okay. Eggs, milk, uh, and you come up to the cashier. There's a larger man balding with a little apron on. He has the name of the store printed on it. Uh, or I guess sewn onto it. They wouldn't really be printed, uh, but sewn onto the front of his chest. Uh, and he looks down at you. Hello, Doris. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, Tommy. He rings it all up. All right, looks like that'll be $7. All right. And I <laughs> played cash out on the table. <laughs> all right. He takes it and you sprint off. You are running past these people walking in the street. Uh, you run over a couple of streets and I think you get to like this kind of secluded grove. Uh, and there's a lot of greenery, a lot of beautiful evergreens found in the Pacific Northwest. There's lavender plants and all these other flowers. There are some cherry trees uh, because Salem is the cherry capital of the Northwest. Um, but um, they haven't started to bloom yet. It's still a couple of months before they start to bloom. But nestled in between all of this foliage is a building. Uh, Carrie, do you want to describe what this building looks like? Um, it looks like a large home. 
Um, it's three stories and um, it just like it looks very homely like it doesn't like when you say building that makes it feel um, kind of cold and uninviting but this is very much like home um, you know like you said all of the plants and things um, it's got like a white picket fence like it's very just like other than it being so big like it just looks like a classic Mm. home of the 40s yeah and like does it have like a wraparound porch and like yes. steps leading up yes okay. is it painted any specific colors um it is a um say like a grayish blue okay um with um like red shutters okay um and there's like rocking chairs out front um yeah okay and you you run up to this house and i think in the corner of the panel as you're running up to it we see a sign that's been posted out in front of the the house um what's the name of this bed and breakfast um daniel's house daniel's house Mm -hmm. okay nice curvy painted lettering Mm -hmm. you rush up this and it's like a sign like it's got like the wood stand but the sign is like hanging from a chain and so like it swings in the wind oh nice nice and it's like wide and like has the the chains that are hanging yeah okay i like it uh i like to live here um (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) uh i mean you knew when i said rocking chairs out front like that's the dream let's let's go there (laughs) uh so you run up these steps you come to the front door um does this house open to invite you or do you have to open it yourself um for me it opens okay so the house sensing your presence uh opens its doors and you step into the main entryway hallway and immediately you see one of your patrons that is staying here for the the uh the week is just kind of in the middle of this entryway hallway he has a white shirt on, slacks. He is barefoot with suspenders up over his shoulders. He also has a towel over one shoulder and like a little shaving kit held in the other. And he's just standing there just kind of rotating and looking back and forth, a little confusion on his face. Hi, Mr. Smith. Is there something I can help you with? Oh, uh, yes, there is, young lady. Uh, you see, last night when my wife and I checked in, I could have sworn I saw the bathroom right here underneath the stairs, but when I open up the door, and he opens it up, and it's like a little storage closet, um, it seems like it's not. Am, am I mistaken? Oh, people get confused with that all the time. When you come in late at night, it just everything kind of runs together. Let me show you. The bathroom's this way. Okay. And she takes him um, down um, another little hallway and... Mm-hmm. And I think we see Doris and Mr. Smith walking down the hallway and then out of the panel. And then that door shuts on its own. Yes. Uh, and then we turn the page. You have taken Mr. Smith to the bathroom and you are walking into the kitchen where we see your mother. Please describe your mother to us. Um, my mother is tall, slender, um, very, very beautiful. Um, she's got blonde hair. Um, 
and it's early morning so she hasn't put it up in her like typical bun and so it's um, down around her shoulders um, kind of wavy um, she's got um, blue eyes like me um, and she is in a a navy blue dress uh, like house dress kind of thing with a, a white apron over it um, and she is beginning to um, there's like coffee she's making coffee and just kind of like gathering the things for the breakfast for the patrons okay yeah and uh as you walk in uh there's obviously like a door that leads into the kitchen so you open up the door uh, your mother looks up and she has a cookbook held in her hands and then over like on the stove the spoons are all stirring themselves yeah, yeah. and like there's, i was like, thinking very like wanda like WandaVision kind of thing. Like yes. all this stuff is just like floating around the kitchen. Like Yes, 100%. <laughs> uh, and she looks up from the, the cookbook. Good morning, Doris. Good morning, Mother. Did you get everything on the list? Yep, got everything. Perfect. And she like flicks her wrist with her fingers delicately displayed. And each of those individual items you got from the store... Uh, flitters out and goes to their respective stations to start preparing breakfast. Uh, and she looks over her shoulder at the little clock on the wall. And she says, shouldn't you be getting to school soon, Doris? Um, yes, Mom. I also wanted to ask, um, Beth has invited all of the girls from our class to the soda shop after school. Is it okay if I join them? Beth and who else, dear? The girls from my class just girls you hear a slight hesitation um in doris's voice but she says yes and your mother has like a coy smile on her lips as she motions with her fingers uh and the oven opens up and a uh, a pan a fresh sheet of cake slides out and then sits on the window seal to cool uh and she says you know, it was just about your age when I started hanging out with people that weren't just girls. I know, Mom. But you are a smart, capable young woman. And I trust you. And she leans down and gives you a peck on the forehead. I smile and give her a quick nod and run off to grab my bag for school yeah and as you start running off to get your backpack and things you need for school she calls after you and remember dear do no harm and always help the underdog that's my little girl i'll see you tonight make sure you are back before the blackout yes mama and then you run off you're grabbing your stuff um and i have to ask how does doris get to school does she walk does she ride a bike does she take the bus does she open a door? Um, I think we'll go with she opens a door. Okay. Uh, you have your backpack on. You see Mr. Smith walking out of a different door than the one you led him to. And he stutter steps and looks around right as you like rush past him. And you run to a door and you open it. And when you open it, we see a thick dense jungle we hear birds chirping frogs croaking maybe some other sort of animal calling out through the rain-soaked jungle i 
back out and close that door because it's clearly not the right one. Mm-hmm. And so then I um, flit across the way to the other door. And you open that up, and you see your school perfectly framed in the doorway. And I step inside. You step inside. And uh, Doris is suddenly at her school, stepping out of the girls' restroom. Um, And kids are filing into the school, putting things in their lockers before rushing off to class. Uh, Doris, what do you do? Um, I go to my locker and I open it up and um, Beth is there at her locker next to mine. Um, morning, Beth. Doris, hi. Are you ready to have a gas tonight? Hot diggity dog, you know I am. <laughs> and you, both of you grab the books that you need for your first period class, but as you do, uh, your teacher walks up. Um... Uh, Doris, Beth, good morning. Good morning, Mr. Johnson. Uh, Doris, uh, we have a new student, and I was wondering if you could show him around the school today. Naturally. And Mr. Johnson steps out of the way, and behind him we see a small 13-year-old boy dressed up for his first day of school. Um, do you want to describe what this what this character looks like to us, Carrie? He's tall, dark, and handsome as 13-year-old boys go. <laughs> He's tall, dark, and 13. <laughs> He's tall, dark, and 13, yeah. yeah. He has like a little button-collared shirt. Uh, he's holding his books in one arm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just kind of standing there very shyly. Like, he was very comfortable being in Mr. Johnson's shadow. Mm-hmm. And now that he can't, he's like out in the open and it's not happy mm-hmm. for him. Um, he says, Calvin, this is Doris. She'll be able to help you. And then he walks off. I put my hand out and... Hi, Calvin. It's nice to meet you. Um, hello. And he reaches over and, like, grabs your hand. Really, he grabs your fingers with his hand and just timidly shakes it and then lets his hand fall back down. That's quite a handshake you got there. We'll work on that. Follow me. And she flips down the hallway. Okay. Uh, And Beth goes off to her class and you and Calvin walk off. Um, is there any conversation going between you and Calvin? So where are you from, Calvin? Um, uh, my father and I are from the, uh, the Massachusetts, the East Coast. What made you move to Salem? Um, uh, my father got a, a job opportunity here. He, uh, he owns a manufacturing business and with a lot of factories opening up on this side of the, the continent. Um, he has an opportunity to, to help build some things for the war effort. Sweet. Well, this is our first class. Mrs. Montgomery's math class. Ooh, math in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like good old arithmetic first thing in the morning. Uh, yes, I'm sure. Um, do you also have this class? Yeah. Oh, um... You can sit next to me. He blushes brightly. And he says, okay. She takes her seat at the front of the class. (laughs) He sees you sit at the front of the class and sees an empty chair right next to you in front of the class, in front of everybody, exposed. 
and he just slinks and slumps into his chair uncomfortably. <laughs> Let it be known that this is not that different from Carrie and David right now. <laughs> this is just some real life for you. Yeah, sure. Uh, so the day progresses, uh, things go on, and I think uh, it's now lunchtime. So what's Doris doing during lunch? Eating. Cow's brain. No, I'm just kidding. What? <laughs> That's just being weird. Uh, she is um, going through the lunch line. And Calvin is with her. And she's just, like, talking a mile a minute. Like, telling him about the meal and what he should pick. And, like, this is where we sit. And these are the people we'll sit. Like, she's just, like, rambling on. And he's, like, he's listening and taking it all in. But he's also, like, she talks a lot. Yeah, so there's just, like, a lot of word bubbles coming out mm-hmm. of uh, Doris's mouth all at the same time, and Calvin is just not not replying. He's basically just like, I am Groot. I am Groot. Um, <laughs> I am 1940s human Groot. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, y'all, y'all walk out, and I think uh, as you're walking out, uh, you see your gal pals, you rush over towards them, uh, and as you're rushing over towards them, you hear a scream, and you hear uh, like an electrical buzzing noise. And you turn over, and you see one of these huge metal ballasts that was up on the ceiling. Uh, it comes unmoored from where it was, and it is falling, swinging, sparking with its metal jagged edge straight towards Calvin. I'm going to raise up my arm, um, and you again. You see my lips moving, and you see the the light, um, like slow. Mm-hmm. And you have to tell me if this is possible. Or not, well, I think I'll the dice to, will have to tell right. us. But what I'm wanting to do is like is use that to catch it. To catch it and like put it back. Definitely. Um, okay, so levitate small objects. Sure, we can say this is a small object. Well, but I was also using my um, temporal shunt. Oh, that would be... So I think, like, if you're wanting to use a huge power, it would be a very huge deal. And okay. I think there would definitely, it would definitely be visible. So, okay. like, I think a simple okay. levitate small objects would work. Okay. Um, okay, so using that that levitate small objects, let's roll a serve and protect. So go ahead and roll two d six and add your protect skill to it. Eight. An eight. Okay, so on a seven through nine, you hold one, and as long as you continue to defend your target, you can spin hold to redirect an attack to yourself, reduce the stress inflicted by one for every hold you spin. Open up the attacker to an ally, giving that ally a bonus to take uh, against the attacker, or create a bond or step back your bond clock with the person you are protecting by one. Uh, So, what would you like to do? I guess I'm wanting to redirect, maybe redirect it to myself. So, you want to take the damage? Well, I don't... You could just reduce the stress. I guess I'll just reduce the stress. Yeah. Uh, and I would say this would only be causing one stress to him. Uh, so, and you have one hold, so you reduce it by one. Uh, so, describe for us how do you protect Calvin from this uh, baluster that's swinging towards him? 
Um, I think I, so I'm like raising it up, but as I'm like doing that, I want to like kind of like call his attention to me. And so like he moves out of its. Oh, so like, ooh, I, I like this idea. So we see one hand go behind your back and we see like your fingers twitching as you say some spell. And we see, uh, what's the color of your magic? Uh, it's blue. Okay, so we see like a blue shimmering aura appear around the baluster and hold it in place. Uh, and Calvin looks up at it and he like, his eyes squint for a second as he sees that blue shimmer. And then like you raise a hand and like wave it, like one hand is behind the back and the other hand is like waving up above your head. And Calvin looks away right as the baluster like swings right where his head was. Uh, and what nobody noticed in that moment was she hadn't put down her tray yet so it's just like kind of floating in front of her while she does and then she like quickly like grabs it back and then calvin walks over to your table uh and beth slaps him on the back and almost makes him drop his tray and she says holy mackerel new kid that thing almost whacked you right on your noggin um, yes, uh, but it didn't. And then he quickly sits down because now all the eyes are on him. And he just sits down very quickly and starts to eat, uh, like, I don't know, the chicken rings. I don't know, were chicken rings a thing back in the 40s? I don't know. Chicken rings weren't a thing at my school, but they were a thing at your school. Oh, yes, they were. There is a good day when we had chicken rings and mashed potatoes and a yeast roll. It was real good. Um, but anyways, uh, he starts eating. <laughs> Uh, and then I think we turn the page uh, and we see in the panel there is a clock and it's on 3.30. And then we see all the kids rushing out the doors uh, and Calvin and Doris are walking down the steps of the school. And Calvin says, oh, uh, my dad's here. And then the next panel we see this very nice car um, pulled up into the like circle drive of the school and we see a well-dressed man out in front of it uh, he's like in his late 30s he has these horn-rimmed glasses a little pencil thin mustache hair slicked over to the side um and a you know three-piece suit all the way shined shoes uh, and when he sees calvin walking down the steps he nods his head and walks over to the other side of the car and, like, opens it up and gets in. Calvin turns around and says, uh, Thank you so much for today, Doris. Uh, your help uh, was greatly appreciated. See you tomorrow. And there's a little smile. He says, yes. And he runs and jumps into the car. And then I think Doris, like, Beth walks up and says, All right, let's go cut a rug. And then you walk off with your gaggle of girls. Uh, and then the next panel, we see Calvin like looking out the window at you and your group as you walk away. And we see a text box come from his father. I'm going to go drop you off at the house. I have some dot 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 business to attend to. When will you be home, father? And we, he just says, late. And he puts the car in gear and pulls away. So we turn the page and we see uh, it is not yet evening. It is not yet the time for blackout. Um, but we see 
you and your girlfriends coming out of wherever y'all went to. The soda shop. The soda shop. And Beth has her arms around her uh, boo thing uh, that she smuggled in with her. And she says, see you later, Doris. See ya. And y'all part ways. We see you skipping down the street. Uh, and we see some men that are outside turning down the lamp lights in the street, getting ready for blackout. Uh, some people are already drawing their curtains closed and closing up their shops, shutting everything down for the night. Uh, and you keep skipping down this street. Uh, and you come to the secluded little forest that your bed and breakfast is situated in. Uh, and as you walk up to it, you see the door is already open. Um, as I'm walking up, um, as is my custom, I open the little mailbox at the end of the road and pull out the mail and put it in my bag. Um, and then I, I walk up very um, on alert. Because I know that it's unusual for the door to be open like that. Yeah, because if anyone ever leaves the door open, it automatically shuts right. itself. Uh, it is very aware and doesn't want its front door to be open. It's mm-hmm. kind of embarrassing for it, so it shuts itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you walk up and you see uh, the door handle is shattered. I'm going to um, reach to my side and pull out my wand. Uh, what does your wand look like? Um, it looks very much like a Harry Potter one. <laughs> no, it, it almost just looks like a, like a music conductor's wand. Okay. So it's very, like, it's very slender, right. polished. It's not like your mom went out and grabbed a branch off the tree and was right. like, this is your magic. Right. Okay. So it's like a, it's a manufactured, uh, produced thing. Okay. Uh, so you pull out your wand, you're walking in. Uh, it looks like your mother was in the process of getting things ready for blackout. I'll, I'll leave this choice to you. Uh, are the patrons staying at the bed and breakfast, are they there right now? Um, not yet. Okay. You walk into the entryway, and you see, uh, like, splinters of wood on the carpet. You see a vase that was on the table right there has been pushed over and shattered. And it's just this strange, eerie scene as you walk into your house. And then there's a huge onomatopoeia crash coming from further into the the house. Mama? There's no reply. There's an empty panel with you just still standing in the doorway, your long shadow reaching into the corridor. There's no reply. I'm going to run towards the crash. Okay. You run towards the crash, uh, flinging open a door that was not the kitchen door before. Uh, and you fling open this door into the kitchen. And you see the meal that your mom has been preparing all day is splattered, thrown to every which way. Uh, pans have been tossed about. The kitchen is in complete disarray. And in the kitchen, you see your mother in her gown but in one hand she has her wand held up above her head and there's a bright light emitting from it and in with her hand there is a disc around it 
and she is pushing the disc out away from her. And colliding with that disc is a silvered short sword. And we see this uh, man with a hood over his head and like some pieces of archaic armor, like pauldrons on his shoulders, greaves on his arms. Uh, he has a silver short sword in one hand, and uh, on his hip you see a shotgun. Um, but there is a glint of magical arcane sparks as his silver short sword cuts across this disc that was shielding your mother. Uh, and your mother looks up her beautiful blonde hair, messy and unfurled around her face. There's a jagged, deep red cut going across one cheek. And she looks at you. Doris! Mama, what's happening? Doris, get up! And her text bubble is interrupted as that sword thrusts towards her. And she redirects that disc to glance the blow off. Uh, This assailant that's attacking your mother whirls with the shot and comes and looks at you. And there is some sort of mask pulled up over the lower third of this person's face. But you can see uh, this, these dark, menacing eyes glaring out at you from underneath the hood. And around his neck and falling down midway to his chest is this amulet with these strange insignias on it. It's uh, bound to his neck by a silver cord. Uh, and he grabs that and looks at you and his eyes start to glow, and you start to feel the magic seeping out of you. And then from off panel, we hear your mother scream, No! And she rushes forward, wraps her arms around this assailant, uh, grappling with him. Uh, Your mother looks at you. We have a panel of your mother looking at you, and then we have a panel of your face. What do we see on your face in this panel? My face has paled, um, and you see a look of um, fear and uncertainty in my eyes. And the panel goes back to your mother's face, and we see a kind smile on her face as she says, Protect the heart of nature. And with a push, she pushes with this man still in her arms towards the pantry door, which flings open on command and there's a bright light. You cannot see what the door opens up to as this man and your mother both fall into it and the pantry slams shut behind them, leaving you in the destroyed kitchen. What do you do? I think at this point, she knew what her mother meant when she said that. And so she knows that she's got to like kick it into gear. And so she, like, does what she needs to do to, like, put the kitchen back in order. She knows that the patrons will be back soon. Like, she needs everything to be... So, like, she uses her magic to quickly, like, get things as cleaned up and put together as she can. Mm -hmm. um, And make sure that, like, things are in place for the patrons and that everything's ready for the blackout. And then she goes to her room. um, And I throw my bag on the bed... And I'm just kind of in a panic. Um, But as I throw my bag on the bed, um, the mail tumbles out. And I see a letter. 
and the letter is has a seal on it, mm-hmm. a presidential seal, mm-hmm. and it's addressed to Mother Midnight. Mm. So it's not even your, it's not even Delilah Daniel, your mother's name. It says Mother Midnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that definitely catches your attention. The mm-hmm. presidential seal binding it closed. Uh, Mother Midnight in the address. What do you do? I take a deep breath and I break the seal and open the letter. I think we have a panel of you holding the letter in your hand, reading it to yourself. We are not, we as the readers, the listeners, are not privy to what the letter says. And then you close it. Um, I close the letter. And you see her, like, look up from the letter um, with, like, new resolve in her face. And she goes to the closet in her room, and she opens it up, and you see a uniform on a mannequin. Um, And she steps inside, closes the door behind her, and then the next panel, she's opening the door. She's in the uniform. She has on a purple knee-length skirt um, with black tights, um, yellow mid-calf boots, a purple button-up top um, with puffy long sleeves um, and a built-in hooded cloak. Um, And then there's a black spell component pouch at her hip um, and an eight-pointed sun star sewn into the pouch. Um, And she steps out um, in her superhero outfit and says it's time for Sister Solstice to make her debut. And in this final panel of this issue, uh, we see Sister Solstice in her costume for the first time, that word bubble coming off, and the words Sister Solstice is in this huge, blocky, colorful superhero font. And in the background, we see uh, the night sky above with the full moon hanging up above with little stars speckling. And down in the corner of this panel, we see Sister Solstice's story will continue in Tales to Inspire, Issue 1. End of episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Tales to Inspire. We'll be back with our next episode in two short weeks. If you have social media, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Like and follow us at Misconceptions Pod for up-to-date information about the show, behind-the-scenes pictures, and just to show us your general positive feelings about the show. We also have a Discord. You can click the link below to join our Discord so that you can chat with other friends of the show and chat with other cast members directly. We also have an email. If you'd like to contact us that way, you can email us at misconceptionspod at gmail.com. This show is fully supported by the generous monthly donations of our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to join that elite group of supporters and gain access to exclusive content, please consider joining our Patreon. The Tells to Inspire theme song was composed by Esteban Del Pino. You can find out more about his music on fiverr.com slash iam underscore W-A-K-E. Sister Solstice was played by Carrie White, who hates Twitter and refuses to get one. And I'm David White, your editor-in-chief. You can find me at Mr. Banana Socks on Twitter. 
The role-playing game system used in this production was a modified version of the Worlds in Peril role-playing game by Sam Joko Publishing. Tales to Inspire is a product of the Misconceptions Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and buy cool merch at misconceptionspod.com. And that's it for this week's episode of Tales to Inspire. Thank you so much for listening, and keep it nerdy, y'all. <laughs>